get in the building. So we're waiting on the kids. Kendrick, we're waiting on the kids. So go ahead and just keep talking amongst yourselves. Have a good time. We're waiting for the kids. The kids will be here in a minute. If you're online, go get your coffee. But hurry back. Still waiting on the children. Still waiting on the children. Our theme uh, for this week is um, praying for the next generation. And it's Proverbs 22, 6, which says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is uh, old, he will not depart from it. And the, the key to this verse is the idea of training. It's more than just telling your kids what to believe. It's teaching them why to believe it and teaching them that you're believing it. They'll do what you do and what you've done, and they'll even pick up your bad habits. Amen? So teach them the good habits, and when they get old, they won't forget it. Angela, where's my kids? They're messing up my whole service today. So greet somebody new that you don't know. Let's stand up. Greet somebody you don't know. Say hi. Say, almost said Merry Christmas. If you're online, just say hi to who you're with. So I want you to know that I warned the teachers that I was going to do this. So don't panic when I do this. There's a story in 1 Kings chapter 18 where Elijah is fighting with some false prophets of Baal. And the battle goes like this. Whoever calls fire down from heaven, their God is the real God. So the false prophets were dancing and screaming out to their God and he was mocking them because no one answered them. I love mocking people who say that there's a God that's not a real God and he doesn't do anything for them. Amen? I just think it's funny. Why believe in a God that's not going to bring down fire when you need it? Amen? And then Elijah gets his turn to see if God will call down fire from heaven. And what's interesting to me is what Elijah does. Before he prays, he soaks his offering in water. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where God told him to do that. It's just something that he did. So he needed God to rain fire down from heaven and he poured water over it. To, to make sure that if, if something was going to happen, if God was going to rain down fire, it was going to, he was going to burn up a soaked bunch of wood. Like, it was going to have to be a God thing. There was no way he could have said, oh, that was just lightning. It was so powerful that when the, when the fire fell, it burned up all the, the wood and all the water, licked it all up, and left just a dry pit of charred sand. And I thought about that from a standpoint of, of what we believe about children and the scripture teaching us that if we train up a child in the way they should go when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And I wonder how many parents don't believe that. 
Or maybe you pray that, but you're not willing to put water on the fire. You're not willing to make it like, if that scripture is going to come true, you're going to have to actually live by faith. You're going to actually have to pour water on your prayers. You're going to actually have to take the time to say that I believe that God will make a difference. So he poured water on the altar, right? So we're going to pour water on the altar because we believe... Because we believe that if God says he's going to do something, God's going to do something. But we want him to do something miraculous. We don't want him to do something convenient that's easy. Because you think if you just raise these kids in church, they're going to grow up and they're going to fall in love with Jesus Christ. That's not true. You're going to have to put some effort into it. You're going to have to put some faith into it. You're going to have to put some time into it. You're going to have to put some energy into it. You're going to have to put some uh, trust in it. So, pour some water on it. Let's pray. Let's stand as we pray. Father, I don't want to just read this word and believe this word because it's there. I want to believe that you're going to do something so spectacular with the children that are in this room today that one day we're going to look back in this moment and say, man, I'm glad we poured some water on it. That they will become teachers of the word of God and preachers of the word of God and servants of the most high God that they will passionately fall in love with you in ways that might even embarrass their parents they'll love you so much. And I believe not just in the, in the words that we're praying, but in the actions of our prayers. So Father, we're going to pour some water on it today. Do something spectacular with these kids. Do something spectacular with the teens in the room. Do something that they couldn't even imagine you doing. May, may, freak the parents out when the fire falls from heaven and changes these kids' lives. Father, they are the future of the church. They are the future of Christianity in this community. They will reach this community for Christ. We're going to pour some water on them. We're going to believe you're going to do something miraculous today with these kids in this room at this moment or those kids who are watching online who are listening to the word of God being preached. We're just going to believe that you're going to do something spectacular, greater than we've ever imagined. Let the false prophets sing and dance and play games with God. We want to actually believe that you're going to do something powerful. So rain down the fire. We love you so. In Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. let's worship. And hopefully I won't break a hip.
that brought them we're gonna tomorrow night we have a men's activity out at Anthony Smith's house uh, information is out in the information desk Kendrick will help you with that if you are not signed up sign up I'm looking forward to what uh, we're gonna be experiencing together as a group of men excited about that what's that bring chairs for around the campfire you heard Kendrick. First, I thought it was God that spoke. But it was just... 
I didn't didn't know how to respond to that for a moment. Um, Is there a reason why there's no background music playing? Just throws me off when there's nothing going on in the background. There we go. We're going to get ready to take an offering, which isn't the way we used to do it. We just kind of talk about it now, but what would you have to do to have God prove to you that his word is true when it comes to giving? What has he got to do? And would you to get fired up for for God to actually answer our prayer requests from a financial standpoint, what amount of faith would you be willing to step into? Would you pour water on the wood? Would you pour water on the wood? I don't know what that looks like from a giving standpoint, but I just know that some of us could step out in faith and see if God actually would do what he says he's going to do. I think sometimes, especially when it comes to giving, we give what we have to, not what we, or not what he's worthy of. Amen? Because we say we believe, but do we really, really believe what the Bible says about you reap what you sow? Because if you want a little, just sow a little. If you want a lot, sow a lot. That's what the scripture teaches. We need to pour some water on that today. Let's pray for the offering. Father, I'll be honest, Lord, there are times when I want to be more like the prophets of Baal than the prophet of God. I want to sing and dance and talk about my faith, and yet then I wonder why fire never falls. And it might just be that I don't have the faith to pour water on the wood. I don't have the faith to double what I'm doing. I don't have the faith to go farther than I've ever gone before. Because I believe what your word says. And it's no wonder that we don't see firefall. It's no wonder we don't see huge answers to prayer. It's no wonder we don't see the power of God rain down upon us. Because we won't take the step of pouring water on the wood. So move in our hearts today, whatever that looks like, Lord God, to be that kind of believer. To so believe what you say that we're going to act upon it by faith. Be with this offering, Lord God, that you bring in that it is what is honorable to you. And then pour fire down from heaven. Just rain it down. Answer their prayers. Freak them out. Mess them up. As your people in that story said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And they stopped worshiping false gods because of the work of Elijah. And Father, one last thing. I want to pray one more time for the kids in this church building. And I want to pray for the parents because I think this is the most difficult time to raise kids ever. Their attention span is shorter than it's ever been before. And I'm talking about the adults. So, Father, the kids must have it worse than that. Give the parents the wisdom in how to raise their children up in the nurturing and admonition of the Lord and the courage to do so in the face of a world that is fighting against everything that this book teaches. 
So we just pray for you, pray, pray, pray for your power today. I think the themes of the song is just come fill this place. Just come fill this place. For those that are watching online, fill their living room with your presence or kitchen or wherever they are. Let them know that you are present and that we would respond in kind. We love you so, and Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, don't sit yet. we got one more song to do. But what I want to do is invite any parents who need some encouragement on raising their kids. Just come up to the altar when we're singing and just go to God about raising your kids. You're, you need help. Go to the one who can help you more than anyone. Amen? So let's go ahead and sing.
your king today? I mean, give him a shout, amen? That's all he's going to get from you. Come on, let's give him more than that. That makes me feel, that makes me feel a little bit better. Let's, let's, uh, let's be seated. Just go ahead and be seated. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. What I am teaching on today is long. I read the other day that 15 years ago, modern day movie scenes were 15 seconds long, and now they're five seconds long. So the attention span of this generation is five seconds. And I've got an hour's worth of sermon here, so just to warn you. If you're, if you're a five-second man or woman, you're in trouble. Okay, that was fun. I like it when you guys are with me. We're on the third throne of three thrones in Isaiah chapter 6, which is like the 15th method message out of Isaiah chapter 6. Um, Isaiah 6.1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe, robe filled the temple. Let's, let's take a moment and pray. Can we do that? Let's see if I can do this without getting wet. Let's pray. Father, we have sung songs asking you to fill this place, meaning that we desire your presence. And I hope that if you are in our presence, that we are giving you the glory and the honor and the praise that you deserve. That we see you as high and lifted up. That we see you that, you that is, has a name above all names. There is nothing more important in our lives right now than what is happening in this room with you right now. So I pray that you set aside, help me set aside the stuff that's going to hinder me from hearing you today. Remove the distractions. Remove the difficulties. Just for the moment, remove the difficulties. Help us focus on you. We're in your throne room. We're facing you. We're seeing you high and lifted up. And I believe we're about to hear from you today. If our ears are open. Father, it's going to take us a bit to get there, so I ask that you give me grace and a boldness with your word. But give me clarity with mine. That mine don't cross over into yours. That your words are what matters. Encourage our hearts today, Lord God. We love you so. In Jesus we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Here we go. Let's stand up. In this passage that I read in Isaiah chapter 6, we can find two earthly thrones. Or two thrones. We find... The earthly thrones that God has set up that we talked about three weeks ago. And we can find the eternal throne that God sits on. But what I want you to notice is there's a third throne that's not really mentioned here, but we know that it is there. 
It's there because it goes on in Isaiah chapter 6 and it talks about keep on hearing but don't understand. Keep on seeing but don't perceive. There's, there's an issue with men and they're sitting on their own throne. So there's a throne that I'm calling the empty throne. It's the throne that men sit on. It's where man is the authority and the answer to no one. I was warned by prophetic preachers early on in my ministry, not just one, but multiple, who said that there would come a day when relative truth would become truth and absolute truth would become false. And I thought, yeah, that's a great preaching point, but now we're living it. Where man is on his own throne and saying what they think is true and what they think is not true. American culture is not built on truth. They say it's built on science, but even that isn't true. Because the science doesn't line up with what is true, even with science. And like the Jews who sat on, when no one sat on thrones, Americans do what is right in, in their own eyes. And that's what happens when we sit on our own thrones. We do what is right in our own eyes. We do what we think is right. And that's very true about this culture. We don't believe that the Bible can define, we can define doctrine in the Bible anymore because it's all relative. It depends on where you're at and what you feel what you think. We no longer decide the baby's gender, um, or no, I'll say it this way, we no longer let baby's genders decide whether it's a boy or a girl because it's a boy until it thinks it's a girl. Now don't go getting all wacko on me before I even start. We believe it's gonna, that child is going to bring us grandchildren through the natural scientific process of childbirth until humans change that person's body to be what they think they are. And I came across an article that seemed random but it spoke of how atheists go through a conversion process to become an atheist. You say, well, what's the twist here? The, the twist is that there's a transition where people go from believing in God to not believing in God. It's the same transition that happens when somebody goes from believing they're a boy to believing they're a girl. It's the same transition that happens when somebody believes they're a believer and now they're not. And it's a conversion process that I was reading about and how to become an atheist. It's where truth is transformed from absolute to relative. It's how it can be, this is true, and now this is not. And it's not just done on paper. It happens in the hearts of people. This is happening to live people. These aren't just thoughts that we're saying that people are struggling with sitting on their own throne. These are people who are actually sitting on their own throne. Especially when it comes to truth. It's not a process where somebody wakes up and says, I don't want to believe in God. It's a journey. It's not a process where somebody wakes up one day and says, I don't want to do church anymore. That's not how it works. It, there's a process that we can learn from that teaches us about how it can happen in our own lives. As I read about this journey, I could see this truth in the people's lives. Is, is, people's lives are transformed. And while the study I was reading had, was mindful of atheism, I saw it play into all sorts of other aspects of life. And I believe in my heart, it's demonic in nature. This process of transforming truth into relative truth. Absolute truth to relative truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3 through 13. I'm going to read a lot if that's okay. 
Don't be fooled by what they say. For the day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God. The day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God. The day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The one who brings destruction. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God. And every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, claiming that he himself is God. He'll sit on his own throne. Don't you remember that I told you all this when I was with you? And you know what is holding him back, for he can, can be revealed only when his time comes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly, but it will remain secret until one is holding it back, steps out of the way. It's in the closet, but it's coming out. Then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with, by the splendor of his coming. This man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles, and he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. As for us, we can't help but thank God for you, dear brothers and sisters loved by the Lord. We are always thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. A salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy through your belief in what? The truth. Paul said there's going to come a day when we're going to be facing the things that we're facing right now, right now in this moment. People who refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. People are going to be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. It's kind of a scary moment if you think about it this is what God is saying about the future that we are actually living in right now and if you're raising teenagers you know the deception that's going on in their hearts and minds right now so in the study and I'm going to read from the study a lot and the study was just something that men did to find out some truth and they found, learned some things about it. So I'm just going to use it from that perspective. But we'll come back to the Bible often. So the study learned there are five phases of deconversion for an atheist. So to deconvert from being a believer to a non-believer, there were five phases. There was detachment, doubt, disassociation, transition, and declaration. And I know you want, to, want me to go slow so you can write them all down. But we'll go through each one of them individually. And what they realized was few Americans are raised atheists. Few Americans are raised not believing that there's a God. Most of us in America believe that there's a God behind everything that we do. So they don't just grow up and, or they don't just pop out of the womb and say, I don't believe there's a God. There's an, innate, there's an inherent belief that there's a God in, in their lives. And an atheist is somebody who rejects the central tenets of theism, specifically somebody who does not believe in the existence of God or God's. 
So an atheist is saying there is no God, but Americans are raised with the idea that there is some form of God, we just don't know what he is. And so to get rid of this belief in God, they must exit it by becoming a non-believer, and they deconvert through a process called role exit. Role exit is nothing more than who they are in truth to become who they are, who they believe they are. So they go from who they are in truth and they say, this isn't the truth for me, so now I'm going to become something different or someone different. In the short summary of this, this deconversion has a snowball effect. It starts with doubts about who they really are. And it's a question of their role in life. I don't seem to fit my role. They are dissatisfied with their current role in life. They seek answers to why they're displeased because they don't understand why they're uncomfortable. It doesn't make sense to them. And through self-examination, they begin to interpret subsequent events that solidify and justify their doubts about life. So they start looking at their life and saying, this is why everything's screwed up. And their next step after the first doubts is there's an exit role, and meaning that they admit that their current role doesn't work for them. And they seek out alternatives that they evaluate to see whether it's true or not. And there's a turning point in all of them where they decide they can't continue in their current role any longer. I can't keep going on the way that this truth is saying. I've got to believe something else. And they have an exit process where they create a workable alternative in adapting it to their life. But they'll always be an ex-something in their new role. So when they become something new, whatever that new truth is that they become, they're always an ex-something. So I was a Christian, I'm not a Christian now. You were a Christian at one point in time. You're an ex-Christian. You were a church member. Now you're not a church member. I used to go to church. I deconverted. I don't go to church anymore. Now I do my own thing. But you used to be a church member. I used to be heterosexual. Now I'm homosexual. But at some point in time, I was created by God heterosexual. I was... A male, and now I'm a female. I'm a female, and now I'm a male. But they can't deny the fact that at some point, their truth was, this is how they were made by science. So they go through this exit process where they adapt a new idea in their life. Are y'all uncomfortable yet? Because the first step is detachment. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm teaching this on this level because there's going to be some people that are going to say I'm attacking alternate lifestyles. I believe the same thing you can talk about alternate lifestyles is the same thing you can talk about people who used to believe in God and now don't. Who used to be faithful church members and aren't. Who used to be followers of Jesus Christ and now don't at all. And it's a process. Some of you say, well, I'm, I'm not there. Well, you're not there yet, but you could get there if you keep deconverting. Hmm. This is what happens when you give me too much time in the Word. <laughs> Detachment is the first step, and it's rooted in emotion. It's I feel or I don't feel, and that's what happens in our lives. I feel or I don't feel. I feel like I'm this or I don't feel like I'm that. 
I feel comfortable in this. I don't feel like I, people do it when they when they come to church. They come kind of detached, and they they decide right away: Do I feel like this church is my church, or do I feel like this church is not my church? And it's not based on truth; it's based on how I feel. So, in their study, this phase of detachment, the individual may experience two symptoms. First symptom is the individual is not emotionally invested in religious identity. Meaning they never accepted or believed in religious teachings. So we're going back to atheism. They never accepted or believed in religious teachings. And they didn't know how to uh, explain their skepticism or identify specific doubts they had regarding religious belief. They just never identified with it. Most of them identified with the religion of their parents and the title was nothing more than superficial. I was raised in church. How many times have you heard somebody say that? I was raised in church. I was raised, but I never connected with that. Most of it was just superficial. The second uh, thing that they, symptom that they experienced is those who did accept religious belief, including the existence of God, became generally dissatisfied or uncomfortable with their religious identity. I don't like Christianity. It's clear that this phase is largely rooted in emotion. In this phase of detachment, these individuals cannot fully articulate their position as a non-believer or even a skeptic. And their secular worldview is surely far from developed. They are simply detached from religious belief. And they never get connected. I see this in a lot of teenagers who are raised in church. A lot of kids who are raised in church who never really connect to the church other than by their parents. But the moment their parents leave, then they emotionally leave too because they're never emotionally attached to it. So there's this detachment. They never get tied to a religious community. They never feel obligated to stay involved in the church or stand by the religious beliefs or practices because it wasn't their decision. It was the decision of their parents. It was the decision of their grandparents. It was the decision of somebody other than themselves. The second step, the first one is feel. I, I feel or I don't feel. The second step is doubt, and that's rooted in logic and reason. Now, the reason for doubt in most of these people who are becoming atheistic was a lack of scientific evidence of God. I've never personally seen God. So we say we've seen God in creation. We've seen God in the way he made the world. We see God in the way that he works in our lives. We, we would say those things. But they, they want actual physical. They want God to literally stand in front of them and say, I'm here. So because they don't have scientific evidence of God, and they found other ways to explain how the world was created and how we were created and how we were made in the Big Bang and all that stuff. It just feeds into their, their doubts. And their scientific evidence isn't based on truth either, but it's a better explainable truth than God created it all in seven days or six days and rested on the seventh. They doubt because there's an inherent breeding of intolerance in, in Christianity. Truth is defined by absolute leaving a person to have to choose right and wrong. And this generation does not want to choose right and wrong. We want to choose our right and our wrong. We don't want to take what the Bible says that this is true and this is right. 
and have to submit to that. We want to be able to choose whether we want to obey it or not. Because we have some doubts. Logic. This, this, this rule doesn't make sense to me. Tithing doesn't make sense to me. Why? Why doesn't tithing make sense to me? Because the tithing is about trusting God, and I trust God. Not if you won't tithe. You trust your money more than God. But we begin to have doubts because, you know, you mean if I really believe I'm going to trust God with my money? Yes. Yes. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's a relative truth because it's relative to how much money I want to give. It's how I feel. It's logic. It doesn't make sense that God would want my money. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. But the problem is you've given your heart to your money. Okay, that was free. I, I threw all that in just for fun. They doubt because of conservative views. They want, they want us to be more liberal. They want the Bible to be more liberal. They want God to be more liberal. They want God to be more human than he is God. They have doubts in, because of religion's role in history. Truth is, Christianity has not been the best at things throughout history. The church has not always been perfect. She gets into wars all the time and they kill people and they hurt people. They don't like it that there's this discouragement of free thought. Like, I can't just believe what I want to believe about the Bible. Like, I have to believe what the Bible says, not what I believe I believe the Bible says. The scripture teaches that the Bible is not of any private interpretation. So it's not of, you, you can't, that's why I struggle with groups of people who sit around and talk about what the Bible says. And, and everyone's got a different opinion on what it says. No, it says what it says. You can't change it into what you feel or what you think or what you don't believe because then it becomes about doubt. Well, it just doesn't make sense. There's a reason why it doesn't make sense. You're not God. You didn't write the book. He wrote it. If, and if you would have wrote it, you would have wrote it to fit whatever you want to do. I would. I would write in the Bible that being a glutton is a good thing. I like pizza. I like Chinese. I like Mexican. I like ice cream. I had a peanut butter parfait the other day. First one I've had in years. You should be proud of me. I'm going back and getting another one today. That, that was awesome. They, they have doubts because of the belief that one religion has all the answers. Nobody wants to have one religion have all the answers. They want to choose what to believe. And they don't like it because the Bible takes an old world view and tries to fit it in a modern context. The Bible doesn't make sense for the day. Yes, it does. It makes more sense of today than the things that you're trying to make sense of. So I feel this, and, and if I can see it, then I believe it. That's what solves their doubt problem. I feel it, I see this, so I believe this. Let me give you the third step. We're going to get into the preaching here in a minute. This is all introduction. There's disassociation, meaning it's rooted in, I can't do this anymore. And so what they said was within the third phase of deconversion process, an individual disassociates themselves from their former religious identity, and they reject the beliefs and practices of the religion that they're most familiar with. So they start to disassociate. They say, I can't do this anymore in my life.
So they stop attending church, they stop praying, they stop reading their Bible. The very things that they used to do now, they no longer do them anymore because they just can't do it anymore. How many of you, and please don't raise your hands, how many of you at some point in time have said, I just can't do this Christian thing anymore? I just can't do this church thing anymore. I just can't do this Bible thing anymore. I just can't do, and, and you know that you're wrong in doing it, but you'd say it anyway. I, I just can't do this anymore. I've got my doubts. I don't feel connected. I got disassociation. This happens often in teen years where a teen will be raised in a church where they'll believe and then suddenly they'll just, they'll hit 18 and they no longer want to go to church anymore. Amen? How many of you have seen multiple Christian teens stop attending church once they turn a certain age? And you don't see them praying anymore or reading the Bible. You don't see them attending church until life all comes crashing down around them and then they come back for a while. That was free. They may still have faith, but it's on their terms. And I see this in the shape. As long as things are going well, I don't need faith. But when things are falling apart, I'll reassociate. So they begin to make lifestyle decisions and disassociation. I can't do this anymore. And I'm making lifestyle choices based on what I feel and what logic says. The fourth step is transition. It's rooted in the idea of I'm going to try this. In the fourth phase of deconversion, they said the individual tries an alternative identity, one that bridges the gap between theistic identity and atheistic one. So this can be simply explained as a new philosophy of life. But this transition often begins with going, they don't, you don't go from a believer to being atheistic. You go agnostic first. There is a God, but he's not involved in my life. Before you get to there is no God, you don't just jump right to the other one. You, you, because you've been raised believing there's a God, you've got you to gotta take a small steps to get to where you need to go. Without offending anybody, most, most of the stuff that I've read says people, when they struggle with homosexuality, they go to a bisexual statement or step before they go to the full homosexual step. Before they, go, they leave heterosexuality, they take a step and they take another step. Most of them don't just jump right over. And I, they go from he to they to she or she to they to him. They don't just jump right over there. This is what their studies are saying. This often leads to more dissatisfaction and doubts to work through. And this is a very painful process. I want the church to understand this is a painful process. For somebody to leave God is a painful process. For someone to change their identity is a painful process. Romans chapter 1 verse 28 in the NLT says, Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, they abandoned, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that were ne should never be done. This try this moment where they're trying to find out what they are and who they are and what they believe and who they believe is a time where they do it without God. They are in a godless place. Because they're sitting on their own throne saying, I'm going to decide what I believe. I'm going to decide what is true. I'm going to decide what is right. I find it funny that this is uncomfortable for people. Because the last thing is declaration, and this is rooted in the idea that I'll decide what is true. 
And their statement was that in the end, these individuals no longer adhere to religious belief or practice of any kind. They renounced their faith in favor of a secular worldview. Ultimately, they recognized that they no longer believed in a higher power, and they found a suitable identity characterized by their beliefs or their lack thereof. And they get to a place where they declare, this is what makes sense to me. This is who I am, and this is what I am. This is what I believe. This is who God is. And I'm going to use the term that I hope is not offensive, but they come out of the closet owning their new identity. Whether it's going from belief to atheism. A man by the name of Smith in 2011 pointed out that it is only until the new label is voluntarily applied, voluntarily applied in concrete social interaction, I'm actually living it, that it takes on its full social significance with the ability to shape their experiences within the social world. And I wrote it this way, until they can freely live their beliefs, their beliefs mean nothing. Until they can freely live their beliefs, their beliefs mean nothing. So I can say there is no God, but until, until I can live like there is no God, I'm still believing that there's a God. But if I can live as if there is no God, if I can live a life where I don't rely on God or I don't care about God or I don't talk about God or I don't worship God or God's not a part of my conversation, when I can start living that life without God as a part of the, the, the context or the text, my belief means nothing. So I have to get to the point to where what I believe is true is actually what I'm living. Are you with me? And there are often mixed reactions to this declaration. Some are positive, some are negative. They have experienced inclusion for their decisions or intolerance. Joy for their decisions or shock. Acceptance or disappointment. And claiming their identity was often a lengthy process depending on the level of socialization. This is deeper than I normally go. Detachment, doubt, disassociation, transition, and declaration. And most participants in this study confirmed that this was the model of deconversion for them. This is what made them go from believing in absolute truth to a relative truth. Was this process. Within the phase of detachment, the individual became emotionally detached from their religious identity and encounters weakened social and emotional ties to this religious community. They begin to detach from what they knew was true. In a phase of doubt, the individual was able to identify that which makes them dissatisfied with their religious identity. So they're able, through doubt, to say, this is what, why I believe the way that I believe. The individual then discards their former religious identity in the phase of disassociation so they can no longer think of themselves as a member of that particular social group. I'm no longer this, I'm now this. Before the individual is to claim, to claim their atheist identity, they must pass through the transitional phase where they try on alternative identities, one that serves as stepping stones on the road to atheism or whatever their truth is going to be. In time, their atheistic identity becomes central to the self-concept and identity, and they're able to locate themselves within the social landscape of American society. They can say, this is where I fit. And as I read through this study, I was fascinated to see that easily this transformation, this transformation compares to what's going on in our day today. 
not just in someone going from a believer to atheism, but all forms of life struggles that we're having today with people. A person who's emotionally detached from their created self. Is that not what's happening in our society? People are emotionally detached from their created self. They don't feel like they are who they really are. And they begin to doubt because things don't make sense. Who they are doesn't make sense. How they feel doesn't make sense. What they've seen doesn't make sense. And they begin to reject the things they were taught to believe. And they find a way that makes more sense to them. Is that not what most people are doing today? They're trying to find a way that makes more sense to why I'm feeling the way that I'm feeling and I'm acting the way that I'm acting. I find, I'm trying to find out this doesn't make sense to me so I'm trying to find a way that makes sense. And then when they find that thing, they begin to live their lives according to this new paradigm. What is true is no longer important because it's become relative. Because of being created in the image of God, born with male and female parts, distinguished by God being male and female, to be husband and wife, Designed by God himself to procreate, where he says, go forth and multiply. It's become relative. A human being can fight the truth, flee the truth, reform the truth, and try to make the foundation out of said truth. But it will never feel fully like truth. They'll always wrestle with them not being what they know. Listen, you can say there's no God, but you're going to wrestle with that your whole life. There's still going to be a God, even though you say you're an atheist. There will come a time, there will come an experience, there will come something that will happen that will make you say, maybe I was wrong. So people have to seek truth not from God but from humanity. What does man accept as truth? And it's in the form of others accepting my truth. So atheism back, say, 30 years ago was not very well accepted because that's just, we were a Christian nation. They reject God on the throne. They reject all earthly thrones. That's what's happening here in our generation. They're rejecting God and they reject all earthly thrones. And they sit on the throne of humanity as created beings who carry no authority, leaving them on, on the empty throne. And they, they're saying they're in charge of their own life. I'm in control. It's my life. Glad you came to church today, huh? And they end up seeking to do what's right in their own eyes. No eternal God, or there's one that's very limited for a season. No earthly authority, but one that's very limited for a season. Nothing but an empty throne. That's the world we live in today. There's the earthly thrones that God puts in place. There's the eternal throne that God sits on. And then there's the empty throne that most of our generation is trying to control and live on. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3 says, One called another, speaking of the angels, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. 
Isaiah entered the throne room of God and his experience was shocking. He heard the voice of angels worshiping. And he felt the foundation of heaven shake. And the doorway in which he stood moved. There was power in the room. No human voice can shake the heavens the way the voice of angelic worship can. And the room was filled in smoke, signifying the presence of God and the need to protect us from his perfection. See, if you're in the presence of God, it'll repress man's insolence, who thinks they can sit on their own throne. If you're actually in God's presence, you can no longer lead. I believe that we push our inquiries about God, our questions about God beyond what's proper. We say God is this, and if you're in the presence of God, you're going to see God as he is. We start to feel detached, we begin to doubt, and in our doubts we begin to disassociate, we disassociate, we begin transition, and once transition, we're free to declare our truth, and that's the only way we can do it. I can be a believer and become an atheist that way. I can be heterosexual, become homosexual. I can be, I can go from my birth gender to my believed gender. I can go from a believer who's faithful to a faithless believer in the same process. And and I'm tired of Christians saying these people are evil when you do the exact same thing. You're just disassociating from God. You're just transitioning into your own truth. We do what is right in our own eyes and we sit there on our own throne not realizing that that throne is empty. It has no authority. The throne you sit on doesn't change the fact that we are created beings. We did not create ourselves. We were made by God in his image, not the other way around. We don't make God in our image. We're made in his image. To see this God above us is enough to shake your world, and it should cause us the way that that, um, Isaiah said, I'm uncomfortable, I'm destroyed, I'm in the wrong place. Being in your presence is powerful. You may not feel this today, but you may be uncomfortable in your own throne, living under the truth of your empty authority. But one day you'll stand before God just like Isaiah did. And we'll see how empty our thrones are in his presence. And the right or the truth that you once believed in your own eyes will be seen as unclean. You can't take what God said to be true and make it into what you think it's true and make it true. Your only hope will be that through God's sacrifice, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Everyone is born with a sense of creation by one greater than us, even atheists. The question is, whose truth will you believe? The truth of the one who sits on the throne who made you or the truth of the one who makes up his own throne.
1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5. So worship team comes up. It says, For although there may be many so though, I'm sorry, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God. The Father from whom all are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things are all things and through whom we exist. We exist because God created us and Jesus saved us. And when he did that, he became our Lord and he sits on the throne. And we view truth not by what we feel or what we think is logical, but by what his word says. And the danger of not doing that is to sit on your own throne. And one day, you'll find out that it was empty. What made sense to you on this earth will not make sense to you in heaven. Let's stand. Father, I knew that this moment would be an uncomfortable moment in church, but I think American Christianity is so used to self-help sermons that we're not we're not used to flat out truth. And maybe the way I said it was wrong or what I said was wrong, but it's going to be your spirit that's going to make the difference. I believe, Lord God, that there's a, a that you are God in heaven. And that you created me in your image. And how I feel about how I'm made is not important as much as how true it is. Father, help me to never leave the faith. to deconvert. To take what I know to be true from your word and make it into my own truth. Because there is one God and one Savior, Jesus Christ, who through one spirit cleanses us from sin. I don't know where to go, Father, now. I'm just going to let you do your work. As I said last week, can you turn wine? Can you turn water into wine? This week, I just poured water all over this platform because I believe that you can do something greater with what my words are than ever imagined. Encourage their hearts, Father, please. In Jesus we pray. And all God's people said.
Let's go ahead and sing one song. Can we do that?
Jesus, thank you so much for this time in your house this morning. God, we are so thankful for what you have done in our lives and what you will continue to do. Let us trust you the way that we should. Let us love you the way that we should. Be with us this week and help us be your hands and feet. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for coming. You're all dismissed. Have a great day.